Thank you for downloading this documentary from RTE Radio 1. For more information, visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one. It's the news at one. This is Eamon Lawler. Good afternoon. Nearly 800 jobs are to be lost at the digital plant in Galway. The announcement wasn't unexpected, but it's been greeted with dismay. You're one of the people now that's obviously gone. Any future for you? There's no future. Like I'm near 40, so I'll be told there's young people coming out, they were coming in here part-time with degrees working in the warehouse. What chance have I? Were you expecting it to be as big a blow as it was in the end? No, not really. The life support was taken off the plant that was doing the best. And... It was a Galway institution. The pay and conditions were among the best in the country. So steady was the employment, so large was the workforce, that it was seen by some as a sort of high-tech, Boston-headquartered civil service. You never thought of digital closing down. That just did not come into the equation, ever. It just didn't. Caroline Rush joined digital when economic times were fairly tough. I absolutely loved working in digital. I started in 79, a 19-year-old, and it really was exciting. You know, um, well, the work was great, and they were very good to you, and they give you great opportunities to, you know, to work your way up the level, you know. Um, I started with, say, in warehousing, and I ended up in materials department purchasing. And that was my aim, kind of, at the time. Um social scene was terrific as well you know um there was always lots of parties and uh, I was I was involved in John Pierre Tops and uh, which that was terrific we got to the final in 85 and that was just the excitement and the buzz around the factory at that time you know it was a great even though it was a thousand people we were such a so it was a lovely family it really was a lovely family atmosphere about the place and uh so, and I think a lot of people would have kind of seen it as a job for life. It was almost it was, like the civil absolutely. service. It really was because they really paid well. They treated you well and they gave you great opportunities, you know, for study-wise. Um, you know, they, they'd allow you uh, open university courses and things like that. They were really great for, you know, your personal development, you know. Caroline had seen her four brothers leave Galway for Boston. The problem at that stage, it was uh, again early 80s and I had just a couple of years in digital. If it, if I came home, I know to my, my parents at that stage, I said I was, you know, thinking of going off to Boston. They'd have, they'd have really said, what is wrong with you? Because you really, once you got in that door, you didn't leave. Because I'd say they were the best players in Galway mm. and they treated their employees, I, I, they really did treat them so well. So you just did not, it just did not enter the equation. Honestly, Liam Ferry had also counted himself lucky to have clocked up years of work at the digital hardware plant in Ballybrit. When I finished, I was one month short of twenty. So that's um, a pretty long time. It was a long, long time. Although it flew, I don't remember ever getting up in the morning and saying, oh, gee, not another day I've got to go into work." I always enjoyed going into work. I mean, I had my ups and downs, and I had my rows and, uh, mm. and my disappointments. But overall, I just enjoyed the place and enjoyed the people. And what had you been doing during the 20 years? Had you always had a similar job no, or had you moved I, to different No, I, I joined them as a programmer analyst. I loved that job, but uh, then went into management within a couple of years and continued in various types of management roles in different departments. Um, 
I worked in the engineering department, IT department, finance department, personnel. Uh, finished up in human resources, in fact. Um, over the years, I was offered the opportunity to transfer to the States, to Scotland and to Geneva. And uh, I hesitated a little over the Scotland one because it was a huge promotion. Uh, but uh, eventually, when I met my mind, I had no regrets. Never had any regrets. I, you know, it was Gal- I liked Galway as well. It was a great combination, working for a company like Digital, living in a place like Galway. Uh, I'd come from London to that and I couldn't, you know, once I got here for a short time, I thought, this is wonderful, I'm going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And decided I would stay in Galway for the rest of my days and that's now 30 years. In Galway, digital was seen as indispensable, as the dependable industry that helped the city thrive, but its parent company was in trouble. It was thought at first that when the axe fell, the digital factory at Ayr in Scotland would be the one to close. On the 25th of February 1993, it was confirmed that instead Galway was to go. The digital computer company is to close its manufacturing plant in Galway with the loss of 780 jobs. The task of breaking the news to the stunned workforce fell to plant manager Martin McCarthy. It is believed that the location of the plant in Scotland in Ayr best serves digital's key UK market and optimises the utilisation of the corporation's assets. It is therefore on the basis of strategic intent rather than any issues of capability or quality that the decision has been taken to close the Galway activity. The news, while not unexpected over the last week, nevertheless came as a major shock this morning. The move by Digital to cut their costs and reduce their staff worldwide has been under discussion for the last two years. I, I am, of course, absolutely shocked, and, and um, but more than that, I'm very dismayed, particularly for the, those who will lose their jobs after giving over 20 years' service to a company that was a flag leader, not only in Galway and the region in Galway, but in the country. The plain fact of the matter is that all seem to be well Uh, up to Christmas or up to the beginning of January. Suddenly, during January, something changed radically and quickly. We presented the best possible case we could. I knew our case was listened to. I felt it might have an effect, but on hindsight now, I realised that uh, we were trying to redeem a situation rather than establish a situation. Regretfully, I have to announce to this House, and more pertinently, regretfully, I have to announce to the people of Galway, Despite the best united efforts of everybody in this House and everybody in this country and everybody in the IDA, we were not able to dissuade digital management in Boston of their perception, of their advantage, from the point of view of their shareholders and their company, of the position that they would obtain by being based in air with their hardware manufacturing. We need a task force in Galway now to find new work opportunities for Galway's highly, digital's highly skilled workforce. The Scottish Secretary Ian Lang has rejected accusations that the British offered government contracts to digital in an attempt to save the jobs at air. No, that is absolutely without foundation, and let me be quite categoric about that. Here in Galway, some of the digital workers will have 12 months to look for alternative jobs before they're no longer needed at digital. But last night, as they consoled each other after the closure announcement, it was much too early to have any idea about what next. It's devastated. The government didn't do enough. Definitely the government was wrong and nobody else. The decision was made. They didn't do enough. Too late. 
Were you told that there was anything that could be done? I mean, it was a digital decision, not something that government could have dealt with. Everything was done from a plant manager's side of view. Everything was done. Majors intervened. Our boys were too slow. What's new? Now isn't a very good time to be talking because I feel very bitter about it. It became a huge news story and, as it was told, this wasn't just about one factory or even one city. It was seen as indicative of the country's economic woes. Liam Ferry and his digital colleague, Dennis O'Brien, remember the morning the plant manager called that mass meeting. He called us all together to make the announcement. At that stage we knew what the announcement was, uh, but uh, explained what they had done to try and retrieve the situation. And he got a long round of applause when he finished. Uh, everyone believed that he had done all he could and that everyone of the management team up there had done all they could. So if there was anger, then who might the anger have been with? It wasn't so much anger, I don't think, as that just people were asking some questions. Uh, none of the politicians here either. It was There was some suspicion that there was essentially, for want of a better word, bribes made by John Major to the... the there was talk of a, a massive uh, contract being withdrawn if it wasn't kept in Scotland. Uh, there was no anger at the Scottish plant because, you know, they were our colleagues and that was fine too. But and So it wasn't even anger, it was just, you know, people wondering, did somebody do something dirty here and uh, that we're not getting the full story about? I suppose we'll never know exactly what firmed it up for them to move to Scotland. We felt that we were better equipped to continue in existence, uh, higher technology, higher productivity, lower costs. We thought we'd everything going for us and uh, we kind of assumed that we were going to win out in this one. And then there was, a, the, I think, from right to the it was delayed and uh, there were talks going on behind the scenes which were never quite heard what was going on behind the scenes. But Rory Quinn, Rory Quinn went to the States yeah, at the yeah, time and yeah. John Major, I think, happened to be in the States. Yeah. I, I think he was there for some other business. And, and uh, some of us were saying at the time, had Bishop Casey been in the <laughs> situation, he might have been the man to pull it off. <laughs> I'm a Galwegian. I came back to the city with the intent of working for the rest of my days in digital, but uh, that was not to be. But I, I'd, I, I always got a great enjoyment. I worked in pharmaceuticals, worked with Polaroid, that had a very, another Boston-based company that had a very similar culture to digital. And I often think that's why the digital hired me, because of what we did at, for a short time at Newbridge County Kildare before the hammer dropped there as well. I, I'd be, I was four times redundant in my career. So I suppose I had a bit of anger insofar as that... Uh, I wasn't anywhere annoyed at digital, but I was somewhat annoyed that I... But I, I had the tenacity to get up and go again as well. I, I wasn't going to stop. After the fourth time, yeah, though, yeah. it must be pretty difficult to do that. You must be but, wondering, um, Lord, what next? But um, there are people in this country who are four times redundant since they left digital in ninety three, ninety four, And that's the turbulence that private industry has in this country. Uh, you know, I look back on uh, my career over a, over a lifetime of work from 1958 to 1993 when I left digital. And, um, but, you know, in a much shorter time span, there are engineers in this country who have, have tasted redundancy a number of times. It was a year before the hardware plant eventually closed, a slow shutdown. Some of the workforce were there until the very last day, 
Others left almost immediately. Uh, there was somebody who was gone within a week, I think, working for the university locally, and you know the opportunity was there, and they were facilitated to get out quickly. Um, others, uh, I mean, the, the, you were given a date when you were expected to go, because um, I ended up in personnel, I was needed to help get other people out of the place sort of thing. But I, I have one memory of it where I, you'd be sitting down on a Friday handing out the redundancy checks, and I handed a fella a cheque for £40,000, and he was in tears and couldn't say a thing. Just got up and left. It's very sad. It was it? very, very sad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. But you, you sort of thought with forty thousand pounds, you have some element of joy going out of the place. No, no. Uh, I went home to my kids and I said to my kids, "Well, digital is closed and I'm finished, and uh, we're we're off. We're off to our next. We're we're leaving Galway." And of course, my eldest daughter said. Dad, I hate to tell you, but you're on your own this time. <laughs> so the family insisted that you stay? I, uh, well, I had no intention of leaving. I, 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 like Liam, I had, I had fully intended to make the best of it back here in Galway. For many of those leaving digital, signing on was a new experience. When we, when we left first, we used to meet on D-Day. We used to call it Dole Day on the Thursday. And I used to hate doing that. I, thank God I only did that for a couple of months. I hate it growing up, even though it was for social security, but uh, I didn't like that on a Thursday. We used to always meet for our coffee on a Thursday, D-Day. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd, meet, I'd, meet, I'd meet a lot of them, all right, you know. See, initially it was, oh, gosh, what are we all going to do? And, uh, you know, uh, I remember it was the gloom and despair. But when people sat down and rationalised it, you know, it wasn't, things weren't that bad. Some people did keep their jobs at digital. The far smaller software section stayed open. In fact, through several incarnations, it's there to this day. Here is the, um, the support centre. Dr Chris Coughlin worked in digital. He still works at the software plant, though now it's owned by Hewlett-Packard and he's a senior manager. You can see here, this is the challenge. How do you convert a factory space to office space? So we did it by lighting... We did it by colour on the walls and by partition. It's very quiet. I should imagine it wasn't always as quiet. <clears throat> no, it wasn't. And but imagine what you're what you're seeing here is you're seeing uh, maybe uh, five hundred people here in desks. Quite very quiet in actual fact. But it's generally a very very nice and relaxed atmosphere to to, to work in. So what was it like here then? Say if we went back fifteen well, years. Well, it was a typical, uh, I suppose, factory floor, so to speak. Uh, where you had um, automated machines inserting components into boards. Uh, you had uh, forklifts, probably, and, and robotic little carriers moving around the place and whatever. And, uh, but now what you can see is that uh, you really have knowledge workers uh, who are at their desks or um, involved in providing services or developing software. But after the digital experience, might not many of the workers have had cause to be wary of multinationals? No, I don't think so, because I think, actually, I think it's the exact opposite, because the, uh, it was a circle, it could have been a small company, it could have been a big company that, that, went, uh, that, that went, and uh, there was a lot of small companies here in Galway as well, but 
the multinational is still here, so to speak, in the, in the form of digital software was taken over by Compact Computer, and Compact Computer was taken over by Hewlett Packard, and now Hewlett Packard is here employing 600 people. So the so we're on site, strictly speaking. There's people working here for a, a multinational company for over 30 years. Now, if you were if you were to start employment uh, today, and I was to guarantee you a job for 30 years, I think you would take that. We had we did have a task force, and I. There's a lot of talk that task force has been established after uh, places are closed down. And Everybody I, wanted one after digital. Yeah, and I was on the task force, and I used to ask myself, how much impact did we really have? Things happened, but it wasn't evidence from sitting in task force meetings that were happening. The only thing I could think of was that you had the task force mm-hmm. and IDA Ireland, Enterprise Ireland, uh, and the like, uh, they had to come in each whatever time you met, and they had to give a statement of what they were doing. Uh, so I suppose it did put pressure on them to, to, to deliver on something. And the, the most obvious things that were delivered on at the time were uh, APC, which is still 700 people up there, which is the same number as Digital Laws, roughly, and uh, Boston Scientific, which is I think is over 2,000 people, which is far in excess of what Digital ever had. So those two companies came in at the time. Uh, in fact, they were both in situ with employing half a dozen people, probably each, before the digital closure was final and then they started to grow so that was a, a big part of it but I, I know there was 100 people of the 760 who were made redundant who set, set up their own business now whether that was a one person businesses or whether it was just buying a taxi plate uh, there were 100 people who were self-sufficient Of course what none of us knew in early 93 was that the most sustained period of economic investment and growth the state had ever seen was just around the corner Caroline Rush had no idea what she would do. I did go for a couple of interviews. I remember going up to Baileyborough, going to Bray and come to Wicklow, um, down to Cork, SCI in Cork. And um, then about April or May time frame, uh, we left in February. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another good friend of mine, He, I, we were just discussing what would I do for the future. Um at this stage now it was three months off so it was time to get back into the workforce again and um, he just suggested would you like to go into the catering side of uh, of work and that and was I, quite different from what it you was had absolutely been doing. I, I, I never it really had never struck me now the only thing was I <laughs> I was involved in Galway Hockey Club and, and I remember if there was any teams coming or things like that they'd always say Caroline will you make something and I'd make eclairs or Profiteroles or meringues or something. They always ask Caroline. But, you know, because I just liked... You had the reputation. I had the reputation. That's the word I'm looking for. But it was... Uh, that was it. <laughs> as far as it went, that's how far... As, as far as it went. So, um, I... He mentioned uh, Doreen Allen down in Ballymaloo. So, I decided I'd... Uh, I'd ring up and I'd find out more about the courses or what was going on down there. I did that, went down to meet Darina and there was a course starting that following September. I got on on the on the course. Uh, 42, there was 42 of us. Um, I would have been one of the older uh, people on the course now. The, the rest, a lot of them would have been just left school. Or mm-hmm. One or two, yeah, have changing career again. You know, just wanted to do something different or whatever. Um, again, Ballymaloo. It, it just it was stunning it was just the beauty of the place and it, it, September time was just lovely the weather was terrific down there at that stage 
um, you know, you could go swimming in the evenings and walks. It was it was just it's, it's so tranquil down there. It's beautiful. Left there in uh, in December, and um, another girl and myself, Rita Fitzgerald, she was an ex nurse actually. We uh, franchised out a, a pub in in Cork City, and we ran that for six months. Uh, we just had the contract for six months, so I'm afraid I was a bit homesick at that stage, so um, I came back to Galway. After a spell running the canteen in Moons in Galway, Caroline set up her own catering company. I'm going to make some brown breads for um, my cafes and a few B&Bs All right, for the so you've... So I just had them, yeah, four, four bowls, I'll make a dozen, or 16 all together. 16 loaves there in front 16 of us. good loaves, yeah, are there in front of us, yeah. And uh, then I'm going to make a few pies as well. Apple and blackberry are nice this time of the year. And uh, I'm just, this big pot here is lasagnas. So I just have to get a few of them in my trays there. So I, then I open the morning and I do scones and croissants and potatoes and things like that. And I deliver at about... Half seven to half eight, around right, that time. So what, what time would you have to be up at? I get up at 5.30. I bet you didn't do that when you were in I Italy. certainly did not. 8.15 to... Uh, no, 8.30 to 5.15 was our, our uh, schedule there, fi- Monday to Friday. So now it's uh, six days I do that, yeah. And I, uh, if I have catering, fair enough, the weekends. If I don't, then I take the rest of Saturday off. And I do a little bit then Sunday afternoon again for Monday. So it's a seven-day-week job. Kind of is, really, yeah. yeah. But most of those who set up their own businesses didn't make such radical changes. Up to 40 companies started up out of Digital's demise. One of those is Multis. Its business development director, Eamon Ray, worked in Digital. There were a lot of people who had, if you will, timed their, let's call it their retirement, uh, in terms of the closure. So there were, uh, let's say, uh, women with families who uh, had determined that they were, weren't going to have another job, so this was the retirement, so when they got the redundancy, that was it. They, they were satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were people who were coming to the natural retirement age who, who made it that. Then there were people who got uh, conventional employment, and eventually factories like APC and Boston Scientific uh, took over the, if you will, the... the employment quotas, so uh, there were a lot of people there who got re-employed there. But then there were another section of people who left Galway and went and, and found uh, jobs elsewhere. Again, I wouldn't say that uh, there was, it was a good attraction for people to stay in Galway. Mm-hmm. But an interesting proportion then uh, decided to embark on ventures. Um, and we, we ourselves did, myself and, and a small group of people here, decided that this was an opportunity and um, we looked at it and we went for it but um, along with us there were uh, many many others who did and I reckon at this point today in and around Galway there are about 400 jobs that have been generated as a result of that uh, entrepreneurial activity. Multus now employs 60 people in Galway and 20 in Holland. We remanufacture computers so we take retired uh, obsolete computers uh, back from their application, and we remanufacture them, we uh, upgrade them, uh, we tear them down, uh, build new options to them, and we uh, uh, ship them out. We work for uh, a couple of major companies, Sun and Hewlett Packard, and we do all of their um, systems for Europe 
So it's it's uh, it's it's quite an interesting challenge. Um, now we don't do desktop computers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So you're not talking frame. about the wonky old PC at home. No, you're no, ta- no, no, you're no, talking no, about no, the mainframe no. type. Of the way they retire is is that uh, your PC goes into your son's bedroom, and when his <laughs> retires, it goes to somewhere else. But the, the mainframe and uh, uh, server markets we work uh, in line with the. Uh, the, the, the manufacturer take his retire product back uh, and then work with it to get it out to uh, a value sale in the marketplace. From Galway city centre, Liam Ferry runs The Irish Emigrant. It's an internet news service aimed at Irish people all over the world. Oh, well, I, I was doing this as a hobby for seven years and uh, I was approaching 50 at the time and thought it's going to be difficult on a job around Galway and I'm not leaving Galway. So it was a very quick decision to uh, turn what I was doing, my hobby, into a business. I uh, wasn't too sure how successful it was going to be, but it's, it hasn't been hugely successful. But, but it's kept us going. Here. We're still here. Uh, one of the few uh, dot-com companies who have survived for so long. Uh, you were in very early in that regard. I mean, there mustn't have been too many people in the same line of business oh, at that there was time. No, there was nobody. Um, that, that was one of the exciting things about digital. You get using technology that nobody else knew about. And uh, I mean, I was, I actually was with a guy called Joe Eaton, introduced uh, email into digital. I, I think it was 1979. Good Lord. Um, we, it was pretty crude, but uh, you, you sat down at a terminal and you wrote your email message. Now, it didn't shoot off immediately, you had to get wait till night time until you linked the computer in Galway through the telephone system to the computer in the States. The same telephone line was used for voice traffic during the day, but it, it carried the email. Um, the question then was how many people could you get convinced to should use it, so there wasn't too many more interested in it, but we, we enjoyed using it. But anyway, by 1987, uh, email had proliferated throughout Digital Corporation. Uh, uh, so when I started writing the Irish Immigrant, uh, in February '87, I was able to send it to half a dozen, maybe different countries. I forget exactly. I could go back to my records, but um, it would quickly start going to Australia, to Hong Kong. Um, in fact, still in the '80s, I remember receiving a message from a guy, a Belfast man called Gordon Tool, uh, on a Sunday evening, and he was delighted that he'd been able to read about the rugby result of the previous day while he was in Beijing. Uh, he was on business in Beijing and was able to read his email from the Hong Kong office there. And at so, the time, uh, that would have been such a novelty. I mean, oh, it would have been it, very, very I mean, unusual. We, we got a great kick out of it. I mean, it was a novelty to us, but we we, we just enjoyed doing it. And uh, But uh, I, I remember another one. It started then going outside of digital, and also in the 1980s, there was a Donegal man studying for his PhD in the New Mexico State University in Los Cruces or somewhere like that. I forget how you pronounce it even. Down anyway in southern New Mexico, and uh, he wrote to me one Sunday night to say, just received the emigrant, thanks very much. And uh, this was about 20 minutes after I'd sent it out, and I was thinking, I'd put a news item that was going to appear in the following day's Irish Times, I've got it off Airtel. And I'm thinking, there he is in southern New Mexico, reading what's going to be in tomorrow's Irish Times, before most people in Ireland know what's going to be in tomorrow's Irish Times. But this was in the 80s, and we were able to do that. So by 1994, when uh, I was out on my own, I'd built up about 2,600, 2,800 readers. Uh, initially, we decided to charge them for it, so we got a good response to that. It was enough to keep us going. And 
but then when the newspapers came on and started offering it free, I had to rethink that and we reverted to advertising and we're still living from the advertising revenues. And how many people, how many readers would you have now? Um, well, we have 25,000 email addresses plus, um, and uh, we would have at least that many coming onto our website on a weekly basis as well. And for people who may not be familiar with the Irish immigrant, can you, can you describe it? Well, it started out as just a summary of the week's news, trying to cover every aspect of what's happening in Ireland without getting into too much depth on anything. So it would be news and sport and news whatever and sport, was happening. News and sport, business news, uh, arts news, uh, maybe you know, just uh, telling people what's on in the festivals in a particular week, you know, the Rosa Tralee Festival, who's still gay burn, or however it might have been, uh, introducing it and mention who the winner was but you know it would be a single paragraph of maybe 60 words that would cover it all for something like that if it was a big political story it might get uh, two or three paragraphs uh, but it allowed people to keep up with all aspects of what's happening in Ireland for about half an hour's reading material and they do that once a week and uh, it's still popular and it's still been read in strange parts of the world and in fact probably more appreciated in the strange parts of the world because they've still have difficulties getting the, the news from home and uh, in recent times now we had uh, a nun in from northern Nigeria, a local, a Galway woman and uh, uh, she said that on her way home she'd called into another convent and uh, she'd found a copy of it sitting there. She's not on email at all by the way, someone gives her a copy of it and uh, they were talking about it and uh, those uh, in the convent insisted that she come in to thank us when she got to Galway. I I have eight, we'll say, steady customers every day. But now that can vary just from a couple of dozen scones then right up to, you know, quiches, lasagnas, you know, pies, carrot cakes. You know, different the different places have different levels of quantities and all that. And uh, summer months, I thank God, July, August are... Are the busiest, and, and you uh, do all this on your own. I do actually, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's a lot of work. It is, yeah. Um, it's it's a long day, but uh, when you're working for yourself, it's fine. I love my own radio. I listen to radio all day long, and uh, I I you know talk to my radio, but I enjoy it. I suppose I still get the satisfaction of when I take out something out of the oven and it looks good. You know, I I get satisfaction out of it. Do you know? And that ten hasn't years changed. later, no. And, it, you know, if it doesn't, if I've overcooked it, I get so annoyed at myself. So if it's lovely and golden, which it should be, I still get that buzz, you know. And then the outside catering is, you know, when you do a party for somebody and it looks good, that, it, I get great satisfaction. Other than that, you know, no, there's no way I, I could continue, no. I suppose if I got fed up with that. You'd have to find something else. Yeah, that's... <laughs> You've already done that once. <laughs> There were undoubtedly a number of factors which made the digital closure different. It's very hard to get anybody to say a bad word about the place. The redundancy must have been among the most generous ever paid in this country. Political pressure meant that replacement industries were found and were found quickly. And many of the workforce had exactly the right skills to make the most of the subsequent years of boom. Eamon Ray acknowledges this difference. Now, it can be a difficulty if you're, let's say in a clothing factory in a small town uh, where there's that dependency. But um, 
except for those circumstances, and I don't know what to do about those, but except for those circumstances, uh, it's a lot more common than people realise. Uh, and it's a lot less dramatic than you would see in the pictures on the television. Things happen, and on a statistical basis, people lose their jobs, get other jobs. And, uh, you know, 98% of the time, that becomes a success. Then there's something Liam Ferry terms the digital mafia. I'll give you one extreme example of how it operates. Um, a former colleague of mine was down from Dublin visiting a software company with digital people uh, as a consultant. And because he was a friend of mine, I agreed, I arranged to meet him in a restaurant in Galway uh, at lunchtime. And uh, so we're sitting there chatting. I said, this is interesting. You're down now talking to ex-digital people and uh, you're talking to me and we're in a restaurant which is owned by an ex-digital person. I says, at the same time, I've just moved from one office to another in the building I'm in, and I have three people in and there at the moment. One's putting in a network, and he's ex-digital. One's putting in a security system, and he's ex-digital. And one's putting in a telephone exchange, and he's ex-digital. So we thought this was wonderful, and uh, I came back to the office, and the phone rang, and it was a, a former colleague from Scotland phoning up. He says, look, I'm told you're the best person to contact. He says, I'm looking for some digital people who would be in manufacturing in the Dublin area. He said, I'm running this programme and I think they might be interested. So I rattled off a few names to him and I subsequently, he called to see me subsequently and said that he'd done very well out of that, that he'd got a, a major contract with a big multinational in Dublin. And uh, later in the afternoon, the same afternoon, uh, I got a phone call from a, a guy working for a health board who was ex-digital, who had met up with someone he wanted to give business to and it turned out he was also ex-digital but they'd never met and he was bounced and he wanted to know from me what I thought of the second person so I was able to tell him he was fine. And the I, one thing that really impressed me and I was a reasonably newcomer to the city at the time was how, and I say this already, is how people bandied together. They didn't sit back, they didn't say, well, what, the, what is the government going to do for me and wait for the government to react? They worked with the government and the state authorities, they worked with the civic authorities, they worked with the educational institutions, they worked within their own community groups. And I thought, and I still see that here in Galway today, uh, this, um, this, this energy this determination to, to move forward and to do it collectively as a group. And also there's collective responsibility, which I think is very important, and to get up and do it yourself with everybody else, with the, with the, with the aid that's available. And I think there's also individual responsibility, and I see that with people who are determined to move on, who are determined to start their own businesses, who are determined to get other jobs, who are determined uh, for the sake of the community to work hard. The one thing that I would uh, look at in, in terms of all this is, is the role of you know, an entrepreneur or the development of entrepreneurial uh, pursuits in this country as opposed to you know, factory A closes, we get factory B. Uh, Do you think we still concentrate too much on that? I, I think there's uh, an imbalance. I think there's too much of dependency on the uh, inward investment and not enough emphasis on what we can do with the inherent skill base we have and the opportunities that could derive from that. And how do you think then that that can be harvested? Because obviously not everybody is suited to being an entrepreneur. Well, when you say not everybody is, I didn't think I was, nor did the, the, the people who are in business with me. They didn't think that either. Uh, circumstances forced it upon them. Not the ideal circumstances because it was a reaction. 
So, uh, and, and to react to something is not always the best way to do it. So I think there should be some consideration of how you might proactively tackle the fact that the people are made redundant uh, on a daily basis and that if you put the whole mix of things together that there are solutions for that. Some of it is to continue inward development. The other is to uh, get the people who are in those jobs to come out, emerge, be supported and start up enterprises that would actually be more wealth generating for the country anyway. I, I don't I don't believe that we've really looked at how you support business development of an indigenous nature. I, I, I really don't and I I we've had some experience in startup here. Um it it's certainly it's more obstacle than uh, you have to prove to it so you have to meet certain obstacles rather than be supported through processes. So do you think then that if you were a businessman or had been a businessman coming over from Boston and making similar proposals that the path might have been clearer for you? Well I'm not sure the same proposals because uh, I probably weren't even totally convinced themselves but but in the circumstances where someone comes in um, uh, has a brand name and uh, wants to make an investment in Ireland, yes there are doors opened. Um, whereas I don't believe the same attitude prevails for people who want to start their own business here. Uh, the scales are obviously different because you have to start from, from nothing, whereas these people are coming into the country with a, a lot of resource. Um, so you have to compensate for that in some way. Uh, but I, I believe if the right formula were put together, uh, the return on investment would be enormous and the wealth would stay in the country. The profits wouldn't be uh, repatriated and um, the wealth generation would be here. Of course, many other big industries have gone to the wall since digital, and some of these have received similar media attention. Eamon Ray argues that sometimes that spotlight is focused in the wrong direction. Well, I, I suppose digital was a flagship of the uh, Enterprise Development Authority. It, uh, it um, had been around for 25 years, considered to be very successful, so anybody who wasn't directly involved would have and, and, and would have seen it would have seen banner headlines and would have been interested and the media obviously feed an interest um, and also uh, it my experience is that every Friday night on six o'clock live just suddenly you see somebody standing outside of factory gates wanting to interview people who are coming out looking doleful but um, it uh, I'd, I'd say the hype that's associated with that is kind of misplaced or kind of not in context because uh, day in day people lose their jobs. Um, in digital, it, 1,200 people lost their jobs on a day. It was not a surprise in total to those people. In fact, it was one year prior when the announcement was made. Um, so I, I would say in, in, in the context, it's a little bit overhyped in the media and mm-hmm. it was at that point in time. It could be argued that we've almost come full circle since the digital closure. There's more economic uncertainty, less sense that if one industry goes, another will fill its place immediately. Chris Coughlin of Hewlett-Packard is also president of Galway Chamber of Commerce. Oh yes, it was, the, it was a major dark cloud cast over Galway, I think, for, for many a year. However, very quickly things began to turn around and over the years it can be seen now that that dark cloud had a, had a great silver lining. Uh, I think a number of things happened. Was that digital, the company itself, reacted um, very well in supporting 
the employees who were made redundant. They got very, very generous redundancy packages. As well as that, there was a task force set up between the the state, the civil and uh, authorities and digital. And they, they brought in uh, accountants and consultants for people starting their own business. They started little incubation units in, um, in Murview Industrial Estate, which since has grown to the Galway Technology Centre. And uh, they encouraged people to start their own business. They encouraged people to develop new skills. I think all Galway, the people in digital, uh, the state authorities, they all came together and acted very positively, uh, very energetically and very determinedly to, first of all, to look for replacement industries and, second of all, to encourage people to start their own businesses, which both happened. Uh, the Boston Scientifics and the APCs uh, came came to came to Galway, and with that, some of the, the the managers from Digital and the staff from Digital and the employees from Digital moved into these companies. But equally, there was other com- multinational companies and other large companies starting around Ireland, and some of those managers from Galway here moved to those companies and today are the general managers or the vice presidents of those companies today. So when the IDA were successful in attracting in the multinationals, not only to Galway but to to Ireland in general, there was a great pool of talent available to them, of experienced talent, to start those companies um, immediately. I suppose we're now in a situation after kind of a few years where in most parts of the country if you lost your job there was a reasonable chance that something else would come along pretty quickly. We're probably now for the first time again in a situation where it's not quite so easy. To somebody who is worried about losing their job, they know the place they work for is in trouble or there's talk of them moving somewhere Mm. else, what would you, what would, do you, would you have any advice for them? Um, Take your time. Seize or something. You know, there must be, you know, people have, have, everybody has some kind of talent, haven't they? That they haven't explored. And maybe, maybe, maybe when you get maybe a bit older, you're more confident in exploring. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. And uh, do like I did, you know, well, just try it out. It has worked for me, thank, thankfully. I still get a, a great buzz and satisfaction out of what I'm doing. Yeah, and I'm glad I. Yeah, I couldn't imagine myself now <laughs> working in a in a factory situation again. I know I'm twelve years out of it now, uh, you know, uh, you know, twelve years there and twelve years out of digital, you know, um, and that has actually flown the last twelve years. It really has. So, just something will come up. God is good. If you've enjoyed this documentary, you might like to try other RTE Radio podcasts. Visit rte.ie forward slash radio forward slash podcast.